I want to start off by saying this really is a truly amazing community. And it is a dream for me to be a part of this community. I only started six weeks ago, but I've come to see that it is such a dream to be able to work with an incredible team of faith leaders who not only care about our personal faith, but also care about putting boots on the ground, about acting, about making our actions an animation of God's love and justice and mercy in the world. And I cannot wait to get to know more of you in this space, in this intercultural, multi-faith, intergenerational space to hear from all of you how we can partner together and use our unique gifts. That's not mine, is it? <laughs> and, <laughs> and use our unique gifts to bring healing to this world. I can't wait to get to know you all. Now, I felt called to this work of ministry from a young age, but honestly, it seemed like a pipe dream for me because I come from a family of immigrants. And in our family, every decision made was about survival. And my parents made it really clear that if I was going to be doing work, the kind of work that I needed to be doing as a grown-up, it needed to be work that would consistently bring food to the table and roof over my head. Other immigrant families will know what I'm talking about. You see, my father was a refugee who was exiled from his home as a young boy when he was living in what is now called Pakistan. He was exiled there during the Pakistan-India conflict. He and his mother sought refuge in India when it became clear to them from all the violence that they were witnessing around them that they might die if they stayed in Pakistan. My mom and her four siblings were raised by my Lola, my grandmother, who was a single mother in the Philippines. And when my mom was 13, she was forced to leave school and go to work beside my Lola, selling rice and other produce at the local market. She had to do this to help her mother support herself and her four siblings. And my parents met and married, and they started a life in Hong Kong, typical of many immigrants, even here in the US. They had humble beginnings, making tons of sacrifices so that my siblings and I could have everything that they needed. My mother would pick up cleaning jobs so that she could secure the chance of education for us that she didn't have. And my dad would sacrifice time working late at night, sacrifice time with his children, and, and work even in the weekends so that he could secure the, the feeling of home and security that he didn't have. And he died at the age of 73, never ever, never, ever having experience retirement. He worked until the day he died in order to give his six children what they needed to survive in a foreign nation. Together, my parents faced the hardships of immigrant life, hoping that we, their children, wouldn't have to because our survival was urgent to them. And I hear in this woman's story that it was the same for her. Her child's survival was urgent to her. She was desperately looking for help for her sick daughter. And now I imagine this woman had already spent 
all that she had, all her money getting, trying to find treatment for her, for her daughter by a local healer if there was one even available. I imagine she'd gone to family, that she'd gone door to door to her neighbors, she'd gone to her community, and they had all done everything that they could to help. But I wonder, in that morning in Tyre, she had heard stories about this Rabbi Jesus and heard that she'd come to town. I wonder if she was thinking, you know what? I've heard that he has fed thousands and I heard that he's healed thousands of Jews on his ministry and his journey. I wonder, since he's right here in the area of Tyre, I wonder if he could find it in his heart to heal my baby girl too. And so she takes a risk. She follows him into a home. It doesn't seem like he wants to be, a, to be found. So she took a risk there. But she took an even bigger risk because Jesus is a man, and she's a woman. So she broke social norms in that way. She also took a risk because she was a Gentile, and not just any Gentile, she was a Canaanite of Syrophoenician descent. And you see, their people, the Syrophoenicians and the ancient Israelites in the city of Tyre, they had a long history between them. They were both Semitic, but they practiced different faiths. They historically have fought one another over their land, but now, in this moment that we're reading about, now their once glorious city of Tyre was now at the hands of the oppressive Roman government, who have taken control of all of the nation's resources. So this mother with a sick child, she thinks, surely this rabbi is going to understand that the same way that his community has struggles to have, have struggled to have enough, she too is struggling to have enough for her child. But when she approaches him, Jesus does something shocking to us as modern readers. He says, God's children are more important, that they deserve to be fed first because it wouldn't be fair to take what was meant for God's children and give it to the dogs. The dogs being her. The dogs being her people. The dogs being her sick child. What he says to this mother comes from a charge, a historical charge of all this tension between their two communities. His community saw Gentiles, like this Syrophoenician woman, as unclean and impure, undeserving of God's blessings because they worshiped other gods. They believed that it was the worship of other gods that led to the demise of their nation. So for his community, they believed we did the right thing. We have been faithful. We are much more deserving of God's help. But what they did in thinking that way is codify who was deserving of help. And the needs of this Syrophoenician woman and her child, their needs sat at the bottom. Now these outsiders to them were not a priority. So their help was limited to the crumbs and the morsels that fell from the table where God's children sat. 
Now, before we get all judgy about this, we have to admit, we as a church, the Big C Church, we've done the exact same thing. Instead of seeing diversity, our theologies have evaluated differences from the norm as sin. And then we use these theologies to draw boundaries for who is deserving and who is undeserving. Who's on the inside, who should be pushed to the outside. We refuse to help certain people that fall outside of the boundaries that we draw. And too often, those people that get pushed back are those with disabilities, are folks with dark skin, they're folks who have accents, or those who aren't Christian, they are the ones that get pushed to the outside. It's queer folks, it's trans folks, poor folks, undocumented folks, houseless folks that don't get to come to the table for help because our theologies exclude them. We push their needs for safety, health, shelter, we push them to the bottom. And in doing so, we treat them lower than the dogs that roam the street, taking away their dignity and their humanity. Now this woman, who's considered to be an outsider, even by Jesus, she challenges this view by clapping back at Jesus, saying, Jesus, even dogs gotta eat. God's children have to eat, but so does my daughter. God's children get the chance to be healthy and well, but even my daughter deserves the chance to be well too. And in speaking out, she drew attention to the common need that these two communities had, both Jews and Canaanites, that both their communities needed food and healthcare, that the reason that both their communities were struggling was because of the systems and structures that were set up by the Roman government that would limit their access to basic resources. She drew his attention to how this led their communities to be pitted against one another, to be in competition with one another, both Jews and Gentiles, for the same basic resources as food and healthcare. And what Jesus does next is radical because he doesn't just give her crumbs or give her left leftovers. What he does is when he entered Tyre, his ministry started with his people, but because of this woman's plea, because of this conversation, Jesus expands his ministry. Instead of dishing out crumbs to this woman, to this desperate mother, he gives her the whole meal and heals her daughter completely. And he doesn't stop there. He goes out to the rest of Tyre. He goes on to heal others in the diversity. He goes on and with he and, and a boy that he meets, he goes on to feed another diverse crowd of thousands with bread and fish. But this diverse crowd, they're all from different backgrounds. They're all different faiths. And he does this 
to show that no one gets to be excluded. Everyone in actuality is one of God's children. And I'd like to think when I think about this scene that it must have looked like an outdoor banquet where everyone could eat until they were full, where nobody was reduced to scavenging for crumbs at the ground. Jesus was so influenced by this mother. Mothers, your mama bear spirit influenced Jesus here. He was so influenced by her plea that he expanded his model of the good news of salvation from oppressive systems to include not just God's people, but also all people, especially those that were pushed to the margins. And we, today, we should be inspired by Jesus to do the same thing. Because the issue of marginalized groups being pitted against one another still exists today. We, the church, we fight about which social issues are worthy of our attention, which are most pressing. And that leads marginalized groups to believe that they need to go toe-to-toe and participate in some kind of oppression at Olympics just to be seen, heard, and taken seriously. And what we do in this society, in this church, in this, this government, we say that there isn't enough to go around. And as a result, marginalized communities have been forced to survive on crumbs. And like this woman's child from our passage today, we are sick from it. We are sick and tired of it. We are fed up of surviving off of scraps and crumbs from the ground. But Jesus shows us that another way is possible. If only we can be as open to being shaped and formed by one another, just like Jesus was by the Syrophoenician woman, by this mother. It's not easy, but it's possible. And I believe that another way is possible because I've seen God's work through my parents. I see them, I've seen them work, God's news of God's expansive love. I've seen God work through them and how they treated one another and how they, they and the values in which they raised us. I saw how they were both from different backgrounds and different faiths. My dad Hindu and my mother Catholic. My dad Indian and my mother from the Philippines, both recognizing that they too have the same basic needs and that both their communities had the same basic needs. That even with my dad's community, an immigrant community in Hong Kong that had to start their own businesses because no one would buy from them, he knew, both my mother and he knew, that they needed to do that. They knew because of the, the history of the Filipino community, how they were brought over from the Philippines to work as domestic workers and then exploited for their labor. We, they heard those stories, both of them. And they knew that they lived in this way, they lived in this struggle because they both had a need to, just, to survive, both their communities. That just as they had a need to survive, their children too had the same urgent needs to survive. And they wouldn't survive if they were in competition with one another. And I have to hold on to that 
when I think back on my parents, because now living in the United States as an immigrant, I too bring this back into my home. It is incumbent to my family that, that we live in this way because we are raising three multi-ethnic children. As a part of our marriage, he and I, we had to become aware of the ways in which this nation has pitted our communities against one another, the black community and the Asian community, fighting for the crumbs of safety and security in this nation. We've had to cultivate, cultivate a practice of recognizing our common needs for dignity, he as a black man and me as an Asian woman, and see that neither one of us are in competition, that we are both, I'm pointing to him because he's up there. <laughs> we are both, in fact, worthy. Because if we didn't, where would our children fall in this equation? And so I stand here, and I'm in this ministry work because it's a means of survival for me to continue to make this other way possible. There was something incredible that happened in this exchange with the Syrophoenician mother and with Jesus that caused him to change the, the trajectory of his ministry, where when he entered Tyre, his ministry was to God's children, but by the time he left, he administered to people across cultural boundaries and religious boundaries, and I believe that our calling today is to do the same, to change the trajectory of the church from what we thought it was. In this community, we are called to be shaped by one another, to be in a community that isn't just tolerant of differences, but to actually be shaped and molded to live together and live out what God desires for us all. And that is for all of us to be included as God's children. Because it was never God's intention, our creator's intention, for us to be in competition with one another, to be seen, heard, or fed. Our creator's intention was for us to look, look out for who has been excluded and pushed to the outside, meet their needs, because when we do, all of us are going to be fed. In this community, we are called to do what the, this little boy said here, to be brave and have strongness, to recognize the worth of our neighbors who have been pushed to the outside, and to be brave and have strongness on it and respond just as Jesus did. Our calling is to animate love, not just to talk about it, not just to vote on it, but to animate love in such a way that our neighbors experience on the outside the magnitude of their worth. Our calling is to partner together to make real the possibility of this banquet right here where everyone can thrive. And I believe that is the mission that we need to reclaim in our faith. At Middle, we're imagining a church where this is a possibility. 
It's a bit different. It feels a little clunky. It's uncomfortable. It's a little weird sometimes. But it's possible. And to make this happen, we have to be willing to be shaped by one another, to see who's being pushed on the outside, to see the intersections of identities that have been forgotten. If you're willing to be molded by me, by my sisters of color, by my queer siblings, by my neurodivergent siblings, if you're willing to be molded, then let's get to work. Let's get boots on the ground and make this banquet happen. If you're willing, ask yourselves today, what is your part in putting this banquet together? What is your contribution to this movement going to be so that we can all feast? The good news is that you're not alone. Neither of us are. But we do this work together as a community, as a middle family, to rebuild, to repair, to reclaim and restore God's kingdom here on earth as it is promised to us in heaven. <laughs>